You are listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, Season 1, Episode 29. With Citizenship and Immigration Canada making it increasingly difficult to speak to an officer, there are a few places to turn for information that can be relied upon. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy. As he answers a wide variety of immigration questions and shares practical tips and guidance to help you along your way. Well, hello there, and welcome back to the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Holthy, coming to you from the beautiful province of Alberta, Canada. In this episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast, I had the opportunity to catch up with Ronalee Carey, who is an immigration lawyer practicing in our nation's capital, uh, Ottawa, Ontario. She, in addition to her, her private practice. Uh, She's also a refugee lawyer. And one of the reasons I wanted to get her on was to talk about the private sponsorship of refugees. And she is part of a group in Ottawa that does exactly that. And she provides pro bono assistance to them. And so when I uh, realized that she was doing these kinds of things, I thought that's a great topic for uh, one of our episodes of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. So if you are an individual who has wondered how are these refugees being sponsored into Canada, how the process works, you know, what has transpired with our country, especially with the Liberal government's mandate to bring in those 25,000 refugees, and in fact, it's actually more because Ron Lee explained that there was another commitment to bring in another 25,000 throughout the course of 2016, not just from Syria, but from a number of different countries. And so Ron Lee took some time to break it down for us and to share her experience actually doing it. And so... Without any further ado, let's jump to that interview with Ronna Lee Carey. Okay, I am here with uh, my colleague Ronna Lee Carey, who is an immigration and refugee lawyer who practices in, her words, the beautiful capital of Canada, (laughs) Ottawa, Ontario. I have to agree, I've had a few opportunities to visit Ottawa and it most definitely is beautiful. Her practice focuses on finding immigration solutions for individuals and families through family sponsorship, uh, my dear and le- dearly beloved Express Entry program, and uh, the various provincial nominee programs across the country. She assists with visa applications um, on a number of different temporary uh, purposes, visiting, studying, working in Canada. And she also helps those who run into a little bit of problem with the law and have some criminal inadmissibility issues. So welcome, Ron Lee. Well, thank you. It's great to have you here with us today. Great to be on as well. Been looking forward to it. Well, Ron Lee, part of your practice includes refugee work. And uh, I understand that you assist individuals who have arrived in Canada who wish to claim refugee status. And that you also provide pro bono assistance to a group in Ottawa who are privately sponsoring refugees from abroad. Yes, that's been a new field for me. Very cool. And that's actually why we have you on the podcast today to share some insight on this area, which has really been in the news quite a bit lately, um, especially with the Liberal government's um, campaign, uh, you know, commitment to to bring in those 25,000 Syrian refugees. So this is a a topic that I've wanted to get individuals in um, onto the podcast to talk about. And so I'm really, really happy that you're able to do that for us. Well, wonderful. All right. So 
How did you get into immigration? <laughs> so my, my story of how I arrived um, in the field of immigration is a bit unusual because I didn't start out thinking I would be an immigration lawyer. I grew up in a small town in northern Ontario. We didn't have very many immigrants there. My grade five teacher was from the Caribbean. But other than her family and one other family that we had in town, that was it. Everyone else was uh, French-Canadian or of various Caucasian backgrounds. So when I went to law school, I didn't even think about taking immigration law. I went into family law instead after I was called to the bar. Um, but then I had a change uh, in my life. My husband and I adopted three children from the, the Ottawa Children's Aid Society. Um, and I took an extended leave from, uh, from my career, caring for them after we adopted them. When I wanted to go back to work, I wanted to go back part-time to start because my children had some special needs and we still had a lot of uh, people working with them and I needed to be home. And I had an opportunity to work for a woman I'd gone to law school with and her field happened to be immigration law. So she hired me just to assist her on some files on a part-time basis. And it was great. I just loved the work. The people were so interesting. They had such interesting backgrounds. And immigration law is so political. I would, I would read something in the newspaper that morning. I'd go to work and lo and behold, we'd get a call or I'll already have been working on a file and it would have dealt with the issue I read in the newspaper. So I, uh, I learned all I could about immigration law. And a couple of years later, when she left Ottawa to uh, move closer to her parents, I s set up my own practice. And, uh, and that's what I've been doing since 2012. Very cool. And it's interesting, most lawyers that I talk to do start in a number of different areas and, and, you know, through, you know, no one, very few actually said, hey, I want to practice immigration law. Now, ironically, I, I actually did want to do that when I was going through <laughs> law school, but that was largely because of my time spent working on the border as an officer. But for most people, it fits the same uh, path that, that, that you followed. You know, they started in one area. And then maybe one file dropped on their desk and they really liked it. And, you know, and then they decided to pursue it. Or in your circumstance, you had an opportunity to fill in a little bit on a part-time basis. And it just so happened to be an immigration lawyer. So uh, I think for all of us, we, we tend to feel that, you know, one of the reasons we love immigration so much is the difference we can make in people's lives. Absolutely. Family law was very interesting as well, but I think I would have got bored of it eventually. Whereas immigration law, because you get people from all corners of the globe, there's always new stories to hear. Absolutely. So, private refugee sponsorship work. <clears throat> How did you get into that? Well... <laughs> It's very interesting because I don't think a lot of private immigration lawyers do private refugee sponsorship work, or at least they didn't used to until recent events. Those of us uh, who, who do refugee work tend to deal with the people that come to Canada and make a refugee claim after they arrive here, which is a very, very different type of practice. It's litigation. You have to prove your client's case. You have to prove that they meet the definition of a refugee according to the Convention on Refugees. Um, and you have to go to a hearing and it's just like being in court. Doing private refugee sponsorship work is much different because the individuals that you are bringing to Canada are recognized as refugees before they get here. So there's, it's not a court type situation. It's basically paper applications. And you get to work with people in Canada who are interested in sponsoring the, those individuals to come to Canada. 
Now, one question. So uh, there's a whole other aspect there. Yeah. One yes. question I have for you. So who makes the determination that they are refugees before they come? That determination has to be made by the Canadian government. Even if the individual has been recognized by the United Nations as a refugee, the Canadian government will still do their own assessment to assure that they believe that the, the person meets the definition of a refugee. However, we also have a second component to this, though, because there are people who are recognized as coming from source countries, countries of asylum, and anyone from that country can fit into that category, even if they haven't experienced personal risk, even if the risk they experience is the same as everyone else in the country, they could still come to Canada under one of these programs. People who come to Canada and claim refugee status have to show that they're at some sort of personal risk, not that their risk is the same as everyone else in the country. So that's another thing that's a little bit different. So essentially in those countries, things are just so bad and they're recognized as such that clearly everybody who's in that country is, uh, you know, to, to a large extent is in need of, of protection. Absolutely. And of course, Syria is the country that comes to mind. But there are all other countries as well where those where the Canadian government will accept people based on the fact that they were living in that country and had to flee for their lives. Hmm. Neat. OK, so OK, so so um, the University of Ottawa Refugee Sponsorship Support Program. Tell us a little bit more about that. So the, that program um, came out of the University of Ottawa's Refugee Hub, and there were a number of uh, individuals who um, wanted to start a program that would help people in Ottawa, originally just in Ottawa, sponsor individuals to come to Canada. All of this started after the photo of Alan Curdy, the little boy who had yeah. died, who was drowned and whose body had washed up um, on a beach in Turkey. When that photo um, started circulating through social media, the refugee hub, the lawyers who worked there and the students who worked there wanted to do something more. So they started this program called the University of Ottawa Refugee Sponsorship Support Program. Originally, it was conceived as a very small program that was going to help individuals and groups in Ottawa match up with lawyers who would be willing to help them through the process of sponsoring people to come from Syria. The, the University of Ottawa support program has just ballooned. They've received federal funding. They ha now have um, provided assistance to lawyers across Canada with training and with matching them up with, with individuals who want to be, to want to be sponsors. Um, and it's just an absolutely wonderful program. Very cool. So, uh, yeah, so, so, tell me, so tell me a little bit more about your involvement with it. Well, I was already on the Ottawa, University of Ottawa's Refugee Hub email list. So when they decided to bring out this new program, they sent out an email and I was one of the recipients. And I signed up right away, as did many other lawyers in, in Ottawa. Now, of course, for me at this point in time, I hadn't done private refugee sponsorship mm -hmm. work. I had only done these inland sponsorship, uh, inland refugee claims. Well, like you, like you pointed out, I don't think there were too many lawyers who had any experience no. with this type of thing. Like you said, it's, it's totally government sponsored. So usually it's, it's uh, yeah, us as well, private immigration lawyers don't have a lot to do with it. There was there was a private rev, private sponsorship component before this all happened, but it was very small, yes. and and not a lot of people were hiring lawyers to help them. So right. people like me simply didn't have any files in that area. 
So it wasn't just immigration and refugee lawyers who responded to the call to to come and volunteer. It was lawyers from all fields. We had family law lawyers. We had corporate lawyers. Over 100 of us from Ottawa um, joined in on a training session so that we could be trained on how to help people get through this process. And it was so wonderful. We met at City Hall. There was, like I said, there was over a hundred of us in the room. There were um, people from various organizations there to train us. We had pizza. There was a lawyer who bought pizza for the hundred people that were there. A hundred people. <laughs> he bought, there was so much left over. I was actually able to take some home to my teenagers. <laughs> That's awesome. It was so generous. Um, yeah. And then after that, there was also a lot of momentum within Ottawa as well for, to, in order to be able to sponsor refugee. And our city government um, took a lead and organized um, an evening where people could come and learn about how to sponsor refugees. And community organizations that dealt with refugees would be there to provide them with information on the services that they could help with once the refugees got to, to Ottawa. So our group decided that we would put on a legal clinic that evening in a, in a room adjacent to where the meeting for the community was going to be. And we would give out free legal advice to anyone who wanted to come and know more specifically about how they would have to get through the application process. The information night that the city ran was just overwhelmingly successful. They had to stop letting people into the room where the speakers oh. were going to be presenting. Hundreds and hundreds of people came. What they ended up doing was putting microphones there and speakers um, so that everyone who was outside the room oh, could still hear well. what was going on. But frankly, there was so many people outside the room that you could barely hear the speakers. It was actually a bit unfortunate, but they, they had so many more people come that, they, that you know, they just weren't expecting this overwhelming response. And in the legal clinic, we saw over 400 people, the lawyers in the room, there was probably 30 of us who were there giving legal advice. Cool. And, and it was just group after group. What do we do? How much money do we need? What do we have? What forms do we have to fill out? All night, we just had a trail of people coming through. It was one of the most amazing experiences to be able to be able a part of that, of everyone wanting to help everyone else. And it was just such a sense of community. Wonderful. I know anything like that, you know, that's service oriented, where you, you're just trying to help with no expectation of anything in return. That is, in all honesty, when you have individuals come into your office as a private immigration lawyer, um, I get a tremendous, a, lot of, a tremendous satisfaction from helping people, you know, who maybe just can't afford legal fees. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's nice to do work and get paid for it, but <laughs> knowing you're making a difference in someone's life and, and, you know, just that, that service orientation, that's really what the practice of law is all about. And so when these opportunities arise, like you've described here, mm -hmm. it's just amazing to be part of this whole, this whole collective, this whole community. So that's very, very cool. That's neat. And we also practice on our own. I, you know, you're, you have support staff around you. I, yes. I have people as well. But for the most part, we sit in our little offices on our little computers <laughs> and we answer emails. So to sit in a room with 25 other lawyers all giving out legal advice at the same time, it was just really cool. Mm -hmm. Wow. And, and you can, you know, with that, that size of a group too, you know, you can share insight and thoughts and experiences and knowledge and... <laughs> And it's, you know, you're kind of feeling your way through it together. And uh, that's another cool aspect is just the collegiality. So you've, uh, you've told me um, that you were matched with uh, the G30 Plus Ottawa constituency group. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? 
So one of the goals of that first night when we did the legal clinic and we saw those over 400 people was to then move on to the second stage and all of the people who came to the clinic who wanted to have a pro bono lawyer assigned to assist them, that the matching process would be done after that evening. So I, uh, the very first group that I saw that night um, one of the uh, individuals in the group was a lawyer who had been to the University of Ottawa, the same as me, and she was currently working for the federal government. And she had um, joined hands with two friends, and they were both they were looking for ten other people each, and everyone in the group, so thirty in total, would each chip in a thousand dollars, and that would be enough to sponsor a family with several children. So the three of them had come to the legal clinic to find out more information about. Once they got their 30 people and they had enough money, how would they do a sponsorship to bring a family from Syria? Now, is there so, a certain amount of money, Ronald Lee, that, that you need to be able to front, I guess, in order to, yes, to start the process? Yes, there is. And it varies depending on the size of the family. So a single individual, of course, there'll be less money required than a family of eight. And I say a family of eight because we, have, um, we are attempting to sponsor a family of eight. But mm. that's a little later on in my story. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so in any event, I, I asked um, to be assigned to this group. Um, and I was matched with them by the Refugee Sponsorship Support Program. So I have become their pro bono lawyer. But in addition, my husband and I actually joined the group as part of the 30 who were providing financial mm. assistance to the group. So I have a dual role, which means I get all the emails. <laughs> so this, um, this group that I, I had joined and I became a pro bono lawyer for, um, they were very, very successful in finding people who were willing to join them to, to assist in providing financial support. They ended up with more than 30 people, which is why they became the G30+. Plus. They also raised a tremendous amount of money. The very first meeting, we took pledges, and over $70,000 were pledged just at the initial meeting, and then more people joined later. So we found ourselves to be a much bigger group um, with more funds than we originally expected, and we were looking at doing multiple sponsorships because for that amount of money, we could bring in several families or at least several a family and several individuals. Hmm. Interesting. Well, that's really cool. So... Um Okay, so you formed the group, and and then I understand you, you linked with one of the um, religious con- congregations, I guess, in your area. We did. Um, so that wasn't originally what the group was going to do. The reason the group was called the G30 Plus was that it was a bit of a, a twist to the, the group of five sponsorship process. We call those G5s, groups of mm-hmm. fives. So that's one of the programs that's available from the government. If five individuals band together and collect enough money, then they're allowed to privately sponsor a refugee or a refugee family. So that's why we they started out as the G30 group. However, because they had gotten so big and they had raised so much money, it meant it made a lot of sense for them to partner Mm -hmm. with something called a sponsorship agreement holder, which is a a group that's already been approved by the government to do sponsorships. That way, we didn't have to, to show everyone's income tax returns, for example, to show that they had enough money to be able to sponsor. If we linked up with a larger group, then that piece of it would already be done and we could get our family here more quickly. So we ended up partnering partnering with the Anglican Diocese, which is a sponsorship agreement holder in Ottawa. Um, 
And we, part we partnered with that group um, because they accepted non-denominational constituent groups to join with them because we were a non-denominational group. Gotcha. Now, one question I do have is, and it might you know, take us a little bit off direct mm -hmm. topic, but how does one of these groups, and maybe you're not even sure, how do they get um, officially designated as a sponsorship agreement holder? So is it, so the, is it a pretty com, you know, complicated process? Uh, well, yes, the sponsorship agreement holders do a, do a very extensive application with the government because they are basically getting pre-approved to sponsor. So they would have to show um, their corporate documents for their organization, show that they had enough money. Um, in terms of the Anglican diocese, this is a renewing agreement that they have with the government. They've been doing this for many years and they have a great deal of experience. So for them, reapplying each time that their agreement runs out is not that difficult. But for newer groups, it might be a little bit more challenging. Hmm, neat. So you, so they agreed to take you, your group on, mm -hmm. and uh, then where did it go from there? Well, joining up with the Anglican Diocese was great because it meant they're a charitable organization. So everyone that was in our group who had given a donation were able to get a tax receipt. We also were able to use their experience um, in terms of uh, how, how we were going to be actually constructing the application. But what they couldn't help us with was finding people to sponsor. Uh, mm -hmm. So we're watching the news. We see thousands and thousands of people are homeless. They've left their country. They need shelter. They need someone to help them get on their feet. And we didn't know how to find someone who would be interested in joining with us and coming to Ottawa. So it was at the time they this was still when things weren't very organized. Now there are many programs, including one that the federal government um, is running, that will help individuals in Canada link up with actual refugees so that they have someone that they can sponsor. Because if you don't have family, no one in our group was from Syria, no one had any family that they wanted to bring here. If you just want to help someone, it can be a little bit more challenging. So we were very fortunate that we had a very diverse group and someone in our group had worked with uh, a group of women who had all won the Nobel Prize. Oh, <laughs> and cool. they And we have great connections in our group. So she contacted this group of women and out of that group someone found us uh, a female journalist working in the refugee camp who was able to then hook us up with a translator who we could say find us someone who wants to come to Canada so his brother was actually interested in coming to Canada his brother was unusual because he had post-secondary education mm -hmm. he was going to be a businessman really bright future ahead of him and he wanted to come to Canada so that he could get himself set up here and then help bring his own family here so he seemed like a good person to sponsor and then also um, this brings us to the family of eight that I was mentioning mm -hmm. earlier. There was two volunteers in the camp, a husband and wife. Um, they both had leadership positions in the camp and they had six children, one of whom was only a couple of months old when we first learned about them. So we agreed, even though it was a very large family, which was going to make the logistics of settling them when they arrived in Canada a bit more difficult. We, we agreed to take them on as a group that we would sponsor. So it was nine people in total. Hmm. 
Okay, and so this this application went through the the Anglican diocese. That's right, and it's actually just arrived. It took us quite some time to get everything put together, even just getting translations of all of their documents. I, I had a hard time finding someone who who could do that for me. So that applica- those applications are waiting to be processed. Right now, the Anglican diocese doesn't have any space for them. Each sponsorship agreement holder is only allowed to sponsor so many people, and the diocese has already filled its spots. So we're waiting. We're hoping that next month more spots will become available and our our nine people will be able to be sponsored. Hmm. But in the meantime, we had a bit of a twist. Okay. So remember that this group had raised $70,000, which is just an absolutely phenomenal amount of money. And even after sponsoring these nine people, we were still going to have money left over. So we were very fortunate that we were able to get um, a family. And next week, we're expecting a single woman to arrive through another program called the BVOR program. There's a lot of acronyms in private (laughs) sponsorship. (laughs) So the BVOR program is it's in partnership with the government and the United Nations refers people to the visa office abroad, the Canadian visa office abroad, and they then recommend to the Canadian government that these individuals who have been designated as refugees should come to Canada fairly quickly. And usually they're vulnerable. Often they have young children, for example. So they call it the BVOR list because it's the blended visa office referred program. We just call it the BVOR list. So for sponsorship groups in Canada, though, getting a family off the BVOR list is like winning the lottery because there aren't a lot of people on the BVOR list. And when it comes out, it'll come out, say, at 10 o'clock. And by 10.02, everybody will have been chosen. So if you want to be able to get a family from the BVOR list, you have to be sitting at your computer ready to go, this family number 123, go. And That's then unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Exactly. So, so the demand. So we got a BVOR family. We were so fortunate. So, so the demand for people who want to help these, uh, you know, these selected uh, refugees that are in high need, there are so few of them and so many people that want to assist that it's it's almost like a lottery. Exactly. Yeah. You feel like you've won the lottery because you've wow. had the opportunity to bring someone here. Why, why so do you think f- there's so few? Why, why do you think they, they're, you know, they're not pushing forward with, with more if there's such a demand of people that are willing to support and help? Well, that's a really good question. <laughs> I think, you know, you may recall at our National Immigration Law Conference uh, in Vancouver in April, Minister McCallum, our immigration minister, spoke to us and he acknowledged that the demand to sponsor refugees in Canada was extremely high. And he joked, he said, I'm probably the only immigration minister in the world who is under under fire for not providing enough refugees in many countries they don't want refugees Mm -hmm. but he was very firm when he spoke to us and he said the number of immigrants that we have decided to bring in for 2016 is firm and we will not be accepting any more refugee privately sponsored refugees and bring us over the amount that we've allotted for and it's it's difficult but you know, he is right. The settlement agencies that need to assist these people when they come here, the English language instruction that they need, we only have so much yeah, of it. We can't, mm-hmm. we can't increase capacity like that. We can't hire more ESL teachers, create more schools and yes. open settlement agencies three months from now. 
So, you know, it's difficult because you have all these people in Canada who want to help, but a finite number of people can actually come to Canada to be sponsored. We only have so much capacity. Now, you'd indicated that the Anglican Diocese had essentially used up their quota for this, you know, this this period of time. So is it every year that it renews and like it refreshes and then they have another year to bring in so many other people? Or is it a smaller time period that they're working from? It is by the year, but... What they do, the government will give each of the sponsorship agreement holders a certain number of spaces. Now, not every organization is going to be able to use all those those spaces. Hmm. So if if one organization can't use all their spaces, then another group might be lucky to be able to pick them up. <laughs> that sounds so like the, the provincial <laughs> it sounds like the provincial nominee <laughs> programs a little bit here. I, I guess that's you know, because there there's only there's one pie and it's just how you cut it. Right. So the Anglican Diocese is very hopeful that we're going to be able to pick up a few a few places from some of the other groups who just weren't able to fill them all because in Ottawa the demand and it's partly because of the University of Ottawa sponsorship support program it's because our mayor hosted this wonderful evening it's because of other groups like refugee 613 who are connecting people in the community with the opportunities that are available to help refugees in Ottawa we have a much more grassroots organizations than i think they are in some other centers so the demand from the to the sponsorship agreement holders in Ottawa is really really high. Hmm. So maybe you can just clarify a little bit. So in terms of these blended visa office referred, um, you know, candidates that are selected, what obligations does the you know the, the the entity that's that's willing to to sponsor them? What do they have to show, or what do they have to do in order to be successful? Well, there's two parts. The first part is financial. You have to agree to assist the family in the first year after they arrive. Now, one of the other nice things about the BVOR program is that the government actually pays for half the costs, and the sponsor, the sponsoring individuals or group in Canada only have to pick up the other 50%. So it means that we're able to help more people for less money out of the money that we raised. So with, sorry to jump in again. So, yep. so with the other, the other process, the G5, the sponsors have to provide for all of the financial support? Exactly, for the first year. Mm -hmm. For the first year. And it's hopeful that by the end of the first year, they might have work. If if they're not able to find work by the end of the first year, if they come to Canada with absolutely no English at all, the chances of learning enough English to get work within 12 months are not great. Really tough, yeah. Yeah, it's tough. So after that, they would have to move to some provincial support. In Ontario, it's Ontario Work, social assistance, until they manage to get on their feet. But as a sponsor, you have to agree to provide for all of their needs, all of their financial needs for the first year, unless they're a BVOR program and then it's just half. But the second step is you have to do the work in settling them. So that means finding them somewhere to live, stocking their pantry with with dry goods before they arrive, taking them to get their their provincial health card, helping them with their their social insurance number if they don't have that, enrolling the children in school. The, the sponsoring group is responsible for doing all of that work that for government sponsors refugees can only is normally done by a settlement agency. So the idea is to take some of the work away from the settlement agencies so that they can focus on the government sponsored refugees who come here and don't have someone assisting them already set up. Hmm. So individuals in your group basically get together and say, okay, here's all the things that we need to do when they arrive to help them settle. Who wants to do this? You know, we, we someone, had a, someone raises a hand. I'll, I'll do that. And are you, are you kidding? This is a federal government town. We had <laughs> subcommittees on top of committees. 
<laughs> so I guess there was a strong interest in being directly involved. <laughs> exactly. The housing committee. We have the education committee. We have the extracurricular activities committee. We have a committee for absolutely everything you could possibly imagine. That's wonderful. So this, so this, um, this Iranian woman that you had, who had indicated, so she came to you guys through the BVOR program. Yes. Okay. And it, but it was a bit unusual as well, because even though she's a BVOR refugee, her son is already here in Ottawa. So we will be working with her son um, and all of us together will be providing for her needs. Hmm. The other family that arrived, uh, our family of four, um, our first BVOR family, they arrived in February and they didn't know anyone in Ottawa. So I was, but although even that was interesting because his parents, so the father of the family, his parents arrived shortly thereafter as government assisted refugees. Wonderful. So, you know, they do try, the government will try to place the refugees where they have support in their communities or other family members. So, So I guess, you know, from our discussion, it seems to me that the, the support that you've received to date in terms of the actual settlement of these individuals has been pretty overwhelming. Oh, absolutely. There's such energy in our group. The only problem is, is that when they first came, our, our family of four, they had no English at all. Now they, they are speaking some English. So a lot of the responsibility fell to the couple of people in our group that did already speak the same language. Mm-hmm. Um, so the rest of us who don't speak Arabic, um, there was only so much that we could do at the beginning. But now we've had an opportunity to have, we had a huge potluck dinner and everyone was able to meet them. And there's been social activities. Uh, there's a barbecue coming up. So we've had opportunities to get together with them and they can practice their English by speaking with us. Yes. Integration and giving them an opportunity to, yeah, to learn English. That is the single most important um, predicator of of success in in settlement. And uh, so uh, do within the group, do you refer them to English language, English language training classes, or does someone within the group, you know, sit down and give them private sessions or, you know, how, how have you managed that aspect? Do you just refer them to entities and organizations that are already doing that? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. We had them in English language classes very, very shortly after they arrived. In addition to that, the Arabic speaking members of our group have been providing private tutoring. Mm-hmm. And then for the summer, because the children aren't in school for the summer, we set them up in day camps. We found affordable day camps for them so the parents could continue their, their English language training without having to take the summer off. That's really wise. That's that's really really neat. I, I find myself as I'm listening to this. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> people are thinking, does he not have another word to describe this? Well, well, this is actually awesome. This is so neat. Okay, so we've got this private sponsorship of, of refugees and these different avenues. We know that, as you indicated, uh, John McCallum and our our Liberal government went to great lengths to to bring in these twenty five thousand Syrian refugees and. You know, theoretically, I think they're here now. Are they not? Have they have they actually met that commitment? Are they almost there? Or, they um, actually made two commitments. So the first commitment was to bring in twenty five thousand refugees by any way possible. So that included government sponsored refugees and also privately sponsored okay, refugees. Private. Okay. So they have met that that first commitment. Their second commitment was they did agree to bring twenty five thousand government assisted refugees. So that's an addition to any privately sponsored refugees. And they are well on their way to meeting that commitment, and they plan to meet that commitment by the end of 2016. Wow. That's a, that's really important, too, because I know as we've looked at our express entry 
you know, the, the draws that come out every couple of weeks and the numbers are quite modest, uh, who's receiving invitations to apply. And, um, one of the questions always is, well, if the government is only going to allow in whatever the number is, let's say, you know, up to 300,000 immigrants each year, we can see here that there's probably going to be a sizable portion of the, of the, of that quota that is going to be made up of, well, we've got almost 50,000 refugees here. Well, well, absolutely. And I think that's to recognize the fact that Canada currently has more refugees in the world than we have had since the end of World War II. It's an unprecedented situation that calls for unprecedented response. Huh, neat. Wow. So what is the government's position now? Like, where are they at with this whole process? How, how are they, like, are they continuing to be very supportive? Are they, you know, set, you know, taking the position as, you know, they have met their, their quotas to a large extent that, okay, we've done our, our you know, we've met our, 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 um, our election commitments. And, um, and now, you know, where do you see the future for, for refugee sponsorship and, and this whole process? Well, it's going to be very interesting as we move into 2017 and they announced the immigration plan levels for that year. This year, the immigration level plan, I'm sure you remember, they came out quite late just because of when the election was held. Normally, we get the levels plans earlier in the year. So all of us who do private refugee sponsorship work are just waiting with bated breath to find out how many spaces there will be for next year for 2017, and what will be the ratio between government-assisted refugees and privately sponsored refugees. Because if you are someone who wants to sponsor family members from abroad who are refugees, then the private sponsorship route is really the only one that's available to you. So it's, it's quite difficult because we want our government to bring in government-sponsored refugees because they've made commitments to the international community and to the UNHCR. But on the other hand, we want more BVOR spaces and we want more group of five and spaces like that for people who are interested in bringing in family members. So it's, it's a difficult. It's going to be very interesting to see how the government ends up balancing all of these competing interests. Hmm. So in terms of the settlement process, with all these different streams of, 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 you know, of refugee sponsorship, um, which ones tend to you know, afford the greatest uh, success in, in settling the refugees? Well, you know, there's been some media articles on that lately, and what they're finding is that because the interest from Canadians is so high right now, the sponsors who are bringing these people to Canada are very, very involved in their lives and wanting to help them and providing them with, like our group, with extra language instructions, extra opportunities to get integrated in their communities. If you contrast that to the government-sponsored refugees, and I'm, and I'm sure we've heard you know the media the media stories where they talk about how they were st they were stuck in hotels, hotels for yeah. quite mm -hmm. some time because it is harder for a settlement agency to go out and find apartments than it is for a group of 30 people who yeah, have all network. these connections mm -hmm. Where can we find them an apartment? So the government-sponsored refugees don't get as much assistance, and the assistance sometimes takes a little longer to sort of kick in. So privately sponsored refugees tend to do better. But on the other hand, you know, like even in our group, there was so much focus on Syria. We want to we want to help people from Syria. And that was because of the photo of Alan yes. Kurdi. And when the Iranian woman was presented to us, we had to vote as, as a group. Well, we originally were going to sponsor Syrian refugees. Will we expand to also include uh, other countries? 
But there are many countries where people have been waiting to come to Canada, have been identified as refugees for years. Congo, for example. Mm -hmm. Because the public interest isn't there as much, it's really important we still have government-sponsored programs so that these people aren't left behind and that the most vulnerable aren't waiting four, five, six, seven years like they are now. And, you know, it's 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 great that you brought up the, that, that story of Alan Curdy. And I've, I've spoken about this with previous guests. I wonder what the world would look like right now if that little boy hadn't washed up on the beach. And it's a terrible, I couldn't imagine, well, I just can't, if as a parent, um, having something like that happen to, you know, to my family. And, uh, but I'll tell you, that little boy didn't, he did not die in vain. And when you think about the ripple effects and what became of that, and this whole global, almost turning of our hearts to, you know, to those in need, you just wonder um, if what has transpired would have ever occurred if it wasn't for that little boy giving his life. I, I think in, in Canada, there we've had private refugee sponsorship programs around for quite some time. But the feedback that I get from the people that I've been working with has been that your application had to be absolutely perfect. There couldn't be a single mistake on any piece of paper or the application would simply be returned to you and said, fix it. Hmm. So whereas now, um, you know, I think what has changed is the government has made more spaces available to refugees, but also they're recognizing that you're working through translators, that sometimes the information that you're getting, there might be an inconsistency in how a name is spelt on one document compared to another because of the translation, and that that's okay that they're willing to work with you and not just dismiss your application immediately. So I think that it's it's not just the public's perception of of refugees that has changed. It's also that our governments are willing to be less picky and less bureaucratic, mm-hmm. and they're willing to work with groups to make this happen rather than provide a roadblock. Because really, before it was simply a roadblock. Interesting, you know. Okay, so let's shift gears here a little bit. There's, I know that there's people that are listening right now saying this is totally awesome. <laughs> I know our community. You know, we don't have anything like that right now, but I want to start it. So if someone is interested, excuse me, in sponsoring a refugee from Syria or anywhere for that matter, how do they go about it? Well, the first thing is to know is that you must have at least five people because the smallest program that's available is that group of five program and five people have to join together and they all have to live in the same area. So you can't have someone from Calgary joining up with someone from Toronto because you have to provide the support on the ground when they arrive. So that's the minimum. It is possible to do like our group did and to join up with a sponsorship agreement holder. There are other programs as well that I haven't even had a chance to talk about uh, in during the podcast so far. <laughs> well, we'll need to get but you back on to of, talk about those as well. <laughs> lots of information available on the Government Canada website, which I, I hope that you're going to post um, mm-hmm, on, your, on your website we'll so people can notes. take the link. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other the other thing is, is that you... You have to remember that it's any volunteer work that you do, there's it may not turn out exactly the way that you're expecting. Okay, so th- this is sort of something that I wanted to make sure that I got in. I, I went to an event, um, and the the head of the group, Refugee Six One Three, was speaking. A wonderful woman by the name of Louisa Taylor, and she was talking about how there's all these people in Canada now who are interested in sponsoring refugees. And she made this comment that's really stuck with me. And she said, "Refugees are not pets." Huh. 
And it sounds a little strange, but what she meant was, you know, you, you can sponsor people and you can think that, oh, they're going to come and they're just going to be wonderful people and we're going to become such good friends <laughs> and they're going to, they're going to, we're going to offer them all these things and they're going to take us up on all of these opportunities. But what if they get here and they don't? you don't like them. <laughs> what if they don't want to go take English classes? What, what if all they want to do is watch Arabic television because they're, they're so exhausted and traumatized by what they went through before they came to Canada that all this energy that you have for them, they rebuff your efforts to be able to assist them. So I think uh, anyone who's going into this needs to understand that it's a long application process. Um, there's lots of application forms, paperwork that needs to be done. And you know, it's, it's like having children. You never know how they're going to turn out. <laughs> gotcha. um, but so just with that proviso, though, uh, there, there are w lots of very wonderful organizations that would be willing to assist people who are interested in sponsoring. I mentioned that the University of Ottawa Refugee Support Program is now national. So oh, there, are, cool. there are groups in most major centers across Canada. And if there isn't one, they can assign you a lawyer who can work with you remotely. A lot of this work is done by email anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so you can get assistance from them. And there are lots of groups across Canada. In Ottawa, we have the Refugee 613. In Toronto, there's Lifeline Syria. Um, most major centers now have um, organizations that are there to help you find out how to sponsor and after the refugees arrive in Canada to support you in helping them integrate into Canadian society. Well, that's wonderful. Well, this has just been very, very educational for me. I know that all of our listeners who are tuning in here have a, a newfound appreciation for how this works. And when you're watching this from the periphery, you're listening to the news and you hear about this private sponsorship and all these different things, it, sometimes it can seem almost overwhelming. You just don't know where to start. But the resources that you provided here, Ronnie, are excellent. I will make sure that we put links to the University of Ottawa Refugee Sponsorship Support Program, uh, the, audio, the Ottawa 613, and, um, and also the Government of Canada website, uh, the CIC website, or IRCC, uh, on refugees and sponsorship. So we'll make sure we have all of those in the show notes. But if individuals are looking to, uh, and, I'm not, and I'm not telling everyone who has any questions about refugees to contact you, but if there's people in Ottawa that say, boy, I just like Rana Lee, I, I, I want, I, I've got a separate immigration matter that is, you know, isn't maybe a part of refugee, uh, refugee work necessarily, but I'm really impressed with her, what she's done, giving back to the community, doing all these things. And she just seems like someone that I can trust and why I want to engage to assist me with whatever the immigration application is. What is the best way that they can contact you? The absolute, the easiest way is through my website. I have a contact form right there uh, and I'll get back to you as uh, soon as possible. Super. And that is just for those that are listening to the podcast. What is the address? Uh, it is ronaleecarrylaw.ca. So that's R-O-N-A-L-E-E-C-A-R-E-Y-L-A-W.C-A. Absolutely. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Ronalee. I really appreciate the time that you've taken to join us. And, uh, you know, you've inspired me. I've, I've had my mind going here thinking, you know what? This is something we could do here in, in my little city of Lethbridge. And uh, I think it would be wonderful. <laughs> and so, so this is very cool. So thank you so very much. You're welcome. It's been a joy to be on. All right. Take care. 
Well, that was a wonderful interview with Rona Lee. You can just sense her passion that she has for this area. And when I reached out to her, she knew exactly what she wanted to talk about. Now, Rona Lee is, a, is an immigration lawyer who practices in a number of different areas of immigration law and helps people in a number of different capacities. But this volunteer work she's doing with the private sponsorship of refugees is just, it's really cool. And I know I said that so frequently without the podcast, but it was just fascinating to listen to the process and the, the whole sense of community that's developed when these groups of individuals get together for the pure benefit of helping others in need. And, you know, to a large extent, that's how I choose the speakers to come on the podcast and the people that I interview. You know, I watch carefully to see what's happening across the country within our industry and, you know, finding individuals that are just doing it right, who are excellent lawyers in and of themselves or excellent consultants. But it's not all just about making money for their practices. It's also about taking their knowledge and experience and giving it back to people who genuinely need assistance but maybe can't afford it. And, uh, you know, Ronalee, she really did a phenomenal job of uh, explaining the process. And if any of you are interested in learning more about it, I would highly recommend that you check out the links that are within the show notes of this podcast. Now, I have a a wonderful slate of of ongoing interviews that have been lined up that I'm looking forward to doing in the future. Uh, You know, I appreciate so very much the, the many lawyers who have come on and shared their time and their knowledge and you know, even these most recent uh, podcasts that I've that I've released on a number of different topics. And that's really my goal is to provide a broad uh, spectrum of knowledge on this whole immigration department that we have in Canada. I am really excited about the next podcast that I'm going to be releasing. I guess it will be episode 30. And that podcast is an interview that I am going to be having with Virgil Granfield. And this is a little bit different. Usually I get immigration lawyers or consultants or, you know, ex-immigration officers on. But um, Virgil is actually a reporter, an investigative reporter. And many of you will remember back in 2004, um, the Indian Ocean tsunami which affected so many, many people um, in Indonesia and, and, and that area of the world when so many people were killed. Well, there was a, um, a groundswell of support that provided funds to help rebuild. Well, in the process of that rebuilding, there was a lot of good that was accomplished, but there was some tremendous abuses of people that occurred when some of the rebuilding was outsourced to private contractors. And, you know, it wasn't just worker abuse, but there were human trafficking and all all kinds of crazy stuff that people just are not aware of. And uh, so I'm so fortunate that Virgil is here um, with, uh, you know, within Lethbridge here uh, in the city. And so I had done some previous work um, with uh, with other people that knew Virgil as well, and they directed me to him. And I thought, this is wonderful. Let's get some different topics on here um, and just talk about immigration globally as well as, as the Canadian immigration uh, landscape. But I thought that the story was so compelling and Virgil really needed an opportunity to further expand on, on what, he's, uh, what he's done and this investigative reporting that he did. And so I'm going to have him come on in the next episode and share his, uh, his experience with us. I'll also provide uh, links and everything to the articles that he has written, and I think he's in the process of writing a book as well. But we'll find out more about that in the next podcast. If you like what you've heard, if you uh, appreciate this podcast, 
Um, it's a labor of love for me. So <laughs> no one's paying me to do this. It's purely a way that I'm giving back in my own way to, uh, to my wonderful, you know, this wonderful industry that has been so, um, so giving to me and my family and provided a means for me to support my family and my, my wife and my four dear children. And so if you like what you hear, please share it. Please let others know about it. Uh, you can subscribe to it on iTunes. Uh, you can also access it through the Canadian Immigration Podcast.com website and uh, follow, you know, follow us on Facebook and uh, follow me on Twitter and, and LinkedIn and all those other wonderful areas. But uh, yeah, the, the lifeblood of this podcast is the wonderful lawyers that I bring on. And uh, if they are anything like Ron Lee was today, um, this podcast is bound for some uh, many, many years of, of wonderful content. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening in. This podcast went a little bit longer than, than usual, uh, but I want to thank you for listening and I wish you all the best as you navigate your way through this complex world of Canadian immigration law, policy, and practice. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, your trusted source for information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. If you would like to contribute a question for future podcasts or wish to set up a legal consultation with Mark, please visit www.ht-llp.com. Here on the Canadian Immigration Podcast.